Forget everything that you think you know about comics. Some say that there are two types of people in this world. Those who drink beer and those who enjoy a good comic. But damn it, we are the bridge. And to that we say cheers. We are your guardians, your watchful protectors from everything mundane. Because in the real world, you either die a hero or you drink long enough to see yourself become the villain. The ageless debate of what's right and wrong brought to your headphones with the simplest of solutions. With great beer comes great responsibility. And we accept that responsibility. For in brightest day, in blackest night, no evil shall escape our sight. We are hop heroes, bringing the relevance of great beer and comic book stories to life. Hello and welcome to another edition of Hop Heroes, the show where we talk about our favorite drinks and our favorite heroes. I'm your host, Jordan Arith, and with me, as always, we have published author and fly-ass hoodie-wearing, Zach Barlow. How you living, Z? I'm good, man. I'm good. Chilling. Getting ready for this uh, this Thanksgiving holiday coming it's up. It's turkey which is, week. Uh, pretty exciting. Turkey yeah. Short week. week. Short week at work, and you get a long weekend, so the shortest. good. So now that you have, now that you're the man of the house, first off, we don't have JR this episode because he's, he's, he's down with some sicky wicky, uh, prayers at the JR, parents are gone, kids are loose, ayo, party at the house, ayo. less rage, parents are gone, we're having the party, let's go, let's jump on the beds, eat some pizza past midnight, um, but you're the man of the house now, you know, you got a, a, a wife essentially, and turkey day is a big deal, what's, what's that look like in your new family? Well, Jordan, let me tell you. Turkey is my responsibility this year, and I take that responsibility very seriously. You fucking better. So we got a turkey yesterday, and it's currently thawing because it takes multiple days for birds to thaw. Mm-hmm. And the plan is I'm going to smoke it in the smoker out back. And I got Smoked a turkey. nice little rub prepared. I got a plan to, like... I'm going to inject the inside of it in between the skin with like Frank's fuck red hot yeah, fuck all yeah, around and shit about to Don't do stop. like a Cajun seasoning. Cajun, I'm about to yeah. fillet butterfly. Have you ever seen a butterfly Turkey, bro? Goddamn right. I have, I have porn up. Yeah, Keep dude. going. Yeah, dude. And then what? This is getting pretty, pretty weird. Yeah. What are you going to say to it, dude? You going to fucking spank that shit? Nah, probably not. Probably not. I'm probably just going to, like, you know, take it out and eat it, you know? You're going to rub it, though, right? You're gonna let's rub get it, it like, nice. let's bring it back to normal. Let's okay, so you're going to smoke it. So you're going to yeah. smoke it. Okay. Yeah. So now, if I know you, and I think I do, there, there will be no sauce for this turkey, because that is a insult to a smoked meat. Is that correct? Correct. All right. We don't even have any sauces in this house. Clear them out. Clear them out Clear right them away out. you got a smoker. Okay. So what about yeah. gravy? Is gravy allowed in this meal? Yeah. Okay. So if it's we're only pretty... doing gravy though. So if it's I guess a... that counts as a sauce. It's kind of a it's kind of a, tur- a Thanksgiving loophole. I was gonna say if it's extremely dry like I anticipate it being, you can always it won't just be. douse it with gravy. So there's that that safety net. There is that safety net though. All right, all right. Net. That's exciting. That's good. Have you have you made a turkey before on Thanksgiving yourself? No. no. So I've done it the last two years, and it's it's quite the feeling, dude. It's a lot. It's an it's a day event, right? You know, you got to put a lot of work into it. I've never smoked one. I've only done the oven, but I do put this lemon, parsley, butter sauce I put together and I break the skin so I can get it under the skin, you know, and massage mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you got to rub it on top. And then this new technique I'm trying this year is a butter soaked cheesecloth 
to wrap the top in while I put it in the oven because what? what I found is when I just do the butter stuff on top and it puts in the oven, once it heats up enough, it all just kind of slides off and you got to rebaste yeah. it. So the cheesecloth yeah. is going to kind of trap that butter into that skin and it's mm. supposed to keep it really golden brown. So I'm going to, I'm going to take a swing at it this year. I'm pretty excited about it. Um, oh. How has your turkeys been in the past? So I'm two for two. Uh, they've been well-received. I made one for Sammy's mom and her down in Arizona and their friends. And then last year, uh, it was just me, Sammy, and my buddy Toby came over. And uh, both were very well-received so far. Um, yeah, I don't branch out. Good? Or they were, were, were your friends just, like, nice to you? Um, probably a combination of both. I'm actually pretty pretty wicked in the kitchen, though. I, I got to... Yeah, I actually know that. You're a pretty good cook. I'm not I got a little cuisine flair to me. Ladies so. and gentlemen, Jordan Aerith is actually a pretty good cook. That's... That's a compliment from Z coming to Jay. That doesn't happen very often on this show, so you know that's just hey, the Jay. Hey, I give credit where credit's due. You're a good cook. I appreciate You're that. You're bad brother. at a lot of a lot of things. Cooking just <laughs> doesn't happen to be one of them. That's true. That's true. Um, but we are in the midst of a fantastic second season of The Mandalorian. Um, we are talking Chapter 12 or Episode 4 of Season 2 today, The Siege. Um, and then later on, we have special guest Jimmy Custis coming on, uh, creator and star of the film festival phenom, Body Swap. He's won three best feature films so far in his run, just having a phenomenal start to his debut film. And we will have him on for a Q&A at the end of the episode. But before we get to all that, we got to drink some brews. So we have Accumulation IPA from New Belgium on tap. And without further ado... Let's go to the beverage breakdown. God. Just holding that in for like, felt like forever getting to this beverage breakdown before I can crack this beast. So, Zach, uh, I haven't tried this one yet. Have you tried New Belgium? No. Zach? No. You never had Fat Tire? That's usually their big, their big go-to. Uh, yeah. actually, I think I have had Fat Tire. I, I didn't realize yeah. that was New Belgium, though. That sounds super. Familiar. Yeah, it's it's got like a bike in an abandoned yard yeah. on it. Like it was my, my dad's favorite beer was Fat Tire, so that's the only time I've had it. Is like when I was six, and my dad was teaching me a life lesson. <laughs> um, because we all did that, right? When we were six. Yeah. Had beers. Totally. Okay. Good, because. In one of our promos, you guys said I had a drinking problem, and I just want to make sure that that's just a joke, because I believe everything you guys say. So, Accumulation IPA from New Belgium, it's a white IPA, and what they're going for right now, it's obviously the winter season. Typically, what you get this season is a lot of heavy, dark beers, and so they went against the grain. They said, fuck all that noise. We're going to rebel, and they went white IPA. So, the Accumulation IPA... It's, uh, in their words, a direct revolt against the long-standing tradition of brewing dark beers for winter. Crafted with mosaic and Amarillo hops, a bit of wheat, this IPA will keep your long nights glowing blizzard white. Ooh. So if you look at it, it's got a slight haze to it, but it's very, very light. It looks like a cider. Yeah, it's got the consistency of a cider, almost like a lemon drop. It's so yellow and, and clear. Let's see what we got. Looks like Coors Light. Okay. So, I actually really like that. It's really nice. So, it's really easy to drink. Very light. Um, and if you imagine having a, a blue moon, but maybe like 25% of the sugar 
of the sweet mm-hmm. of the blue moon, mm-hmm. a little bit of that wheat, and then the rest is kind of citrus and bitter. So hmm. it's like a blue moon IPA. That sounds honestly. pretty good. And it's really good. It doesn't have as much bitter as I usually look for in these, but for what they're going for, they're looking for a sessionable IPA that's you know against the grain. Mm-hmm. I think they fucking nailed it. Um, what's the IP- ABV on this bad boy? Doesn't feel like it has a ton. So 6.2%, so not bad. Um, yeah, that's that's a really drinkable beer. This is a great JR beer. It's unfortunate he's not on this episode because I think he'd like this one. And we'd get maybe one, one and a half in him and he'd be just dancing. Yes, because 6.2 like is actually like not like uh, nothing beer, you know? No. So no. it's like kind of, it sounds like it's like a nice balance between like ABV and sessionable light crisp, crispness. Yeah, I'm trying to pinpoint the citrus. Yeah, it's very light. It's more you get more bitter than citrus. I'm not gonna lie, which is odd because it doesn't feel that way. It feels very light, but maybe a hint of pineapple um, or mango. Can't really tell. And then it's got that bitter overtone, but has the wheat up front. So it's got it's got a little little every a little bit of everything for this. So. Nice, nice work, New Belgium. Nice. I'm a fan. Sick. And for those of you that want a winter beer that's seasonal, that isn't that super heavy, like let's say you're going to an ugly sweater party and you want to drink a seasonal beer, but you still want to stay up all night and rage, look no further than accumulation. What, what beer are you drinking with Thanksgiving dinner? Now that's a fantastic question. So Sammy's mom is actually flying up for Thanksgiving this year. So... Her only request was that we had Bud Light seltzers, which is <laughs> the first time I've had Cindy Salazar request anything that's below a $30 price mark because she is very fancy. Uh, oh, she's bougie. She's bougie. And oh, okay. uh, typically when she when I go down there, she stocks her fridge with Bud Light seltzers and that stuff for me. But I don't know. She requested that we had Bud Light seltzers for her. So this might be a, a rage week that I'm not even mentally prepared for because I was just anticipating so drinking some wine having some conversations, playing some some games. He's a big gamer. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what beer I'm going to have. This is a great question. I might have wine with the turkey, um, but I'll probably crush. I, I Actually, I did just buy a big old box of King Street IPAs because my employees got me a gift card for my birthday I haven't used yet. So I'll probably slam some King Streets and those good four nice. or six of those and you're you're good and drunk. So what about you? What's your yeah. Thanksgiving drink? And, th- and, then, and then like 15 seltzers on top of that. Yeah, dude. Just, uh, you know, well, seltzers are like just to pass the time. That's not even getting you drunk. That's just like, hey, should I drink seltzers or should I have a conversation with somebody or should it's I just breathe? like something to do? Yeah. Something to do it during conversation. Yeah. Me, I don't really know yet. I don't really know what we're going to do. Um, so far, I'm focused on the food. Drinks will have to be a, a TBD. You got, you got just that bullseye determination. You're locked in. Yeah, dude. I Tunnel love vision. It. I love Tunnel it. vision. Put your blinders on. You got one goal. All right. Well, that was our beverage breakdown. So without further ado, and no JR, we're going to see if Zach Barlow can carry the torch and give us a little breakdown of what season two, episode four, The Siege has in store. Uh, All right. All right. Here we go. So you got the Mandalorian. He's in his ship. The ship is all goofed up, and he's trying to get to the forest planet. I forgot its name. I think it might be Zoldar. We're Maybe so fucked without JR. And, and anyway, so he can't get there. It's too deep. So he has to make a 
he has to make a detour and his detour goes to the planet that most of season one took place in i think it's called navarro yes i'm pretty sure yes. i know it starts with an n so he goes back to that planet um in that planet the empire if we remember pr- pretty much got murked by all the mandalorians and um at the end of season one and so he's there and he's trying to basically trying to get repairs on a ship but of course in classic mando fashion in order to get one thing he has to give another thing and so he gets recruited to do this mission the mission he gets recruited by are the the gun the gun sergeant that used to be a stormtrooper she was in season one i can't remember her name cara and, dune um ear dune cara and, uh, cara dune Cara Dune and Carl Weathers, who also, by the way, directed this episode. His directorial debut. Yeah, the dude, legend Carl himself. Weathers director dude. right now. Anyway, so his character uh, asked Mando to do this mission. The mission is to go to like this defunct Empire ship where there's nobody there, and it's just left over from the fucking Zach's battle. Doing lots of air quotes and uh, to just blow it up just in case. And so Mando's like, oh, yeah, sure. It's like nobody there, right? So they end up going out there. And, of course, there's grip of people there. There's hell of stormtroopers there. So they get into a battle. The battle rages on. They end up finding this, like, weird-ass lab, which is, like, super... Pretty much the whole point of this episode is them finding this lab. They find the lab. They have a science guy who, like, gives us a little bit of information on the lab. And then we find out that Moff Gideon is actually in that lab like that's like where he he's a he survived b like that's his like base of operations on navarro and he's running some type of lab and then the episode ends with us realizing that whoever did the repairs on a ship which by the way his ship is like hella sick now um put a tracking device on his ship and so now moff gideon knows where mando is at all times and where the child is at all times and where they're going and then the episode ends Fantastic! Work. How'd I, I do? I think I, I timed you at about forty-seven seconds, so I'm not wearing a watch. A little bit over thirty, but felt like it. Uh, I interrupted you, so if I were to interrupt you, I think you would have got thirty for sure. Um, yeah, bro. yeah, yeah. So a lot to unpack in this episode, and uh, you know, the first thing I think of is just listening to that breakdown of the the story in this episode. I feel like you could have predict this how everything's going to play out. Just basically, like, what's the next episode? Well, I assume Mando's going to go to some planet, and I assume he wants something there, but there's going to be a mission that's going to be required for him to get that one thing. And then he's going to accept the mission, and then throughout the mission, something's going to go awry, or the terms will change. And then he's got to overcome it with his badassness, and then we're going to discover something about the overall plot at the very end. I feel like that's just been the cookie cutter framework of every episode we've had so far, and. It's pretty unique, though, to the series. Like, I don't, I, I don't know if I'm hearing that cookie-cutter argument. Because I get that it's repetitive. The, the, so what you're referring to is, like, the, the structure of the narratives within each of these episodes. Yes. And, yes, they kind of roll out that structure again and again and again. But, I mean, what other, what other Game of Thrones didn't do this? You know what I'm saying? Breaking Bad didn't do this. Game of Thrones didn't repeat their structure every episode. Like that, you're saying? No, they didn't do this structure where like the character had to go. There was a mission. It's like a give and take scenario, and then you find something out about the plot. I feel like this is pretty unique to The Mandalorian as a series. And so, like, is it repetitive within this context? Yes, but is it unique? Like within the grand scheme of narratives, especially like ongoing shows. Kind of. I don't know if I've ever seen another stru- another show like this. So I haven't seen one. I do know that there's a lot of Western 
um, kind of adaptations in this series. Like even when Mando walks, you hear like a spur sound. Like it's got like the it's it's going for the Western spaghetti Western they call it, like the Italian westerns that got so famous. Yeah. So yeah. I assume there's kind of a structure that's pulled from that that has to do with this. But I don't I haven't seen enough in my day to, to make that comparison. So I just thought it was funny that yeah, it's kind of predictable. But at the same time, like I was gonna finish, it's just I don't really care. You know, it's 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 wide spread appeal you know it's it, it appeals to pretty much every age group it's the disney way like how, how how much can we appeal to the kids while the same with the you know teens same with the adults and i feel like they executed that pretty well otherwise they wouldn't be disney um mm-hmm. spreading yourself that wide allows you know assholes like me to poke holes in certain things um but that also like at the same time i don't really care enough to because i enjoyed it overall so not going to be a dick about it. I did to a certain extent. You know, I, I, it felt very uh, New Hope. You know, like I was surprised oh, that they didn't wear stormtrooper outfits to break out of there. Like that was like the one thing, or going like the trash shoot. Like those are the only two things I didn't see. Everything else seemed very like like a pole. Do you mm. agree, or what are your? What, what I don't know. You, uh, that take, like it sounds like New Hope, kind of get kind of uh, falls into my beneath the ink. Oh. So I'm okay. gonna, I'm gonna let that I'm gonna let that sit and then I'll revisit. Okay, cool. Um, so first thoughts: how were how excited were you to see Cara Dune and Carl Weathers, who is Grief Karga? It's his actual name. How excited were you to see them back in the the first time? Uh, I was pretty I was pretty stoked. Um, I I'm not like i wasn't like over the moon like to be honest like i feel like the the characters they're cool and like that i'm not that into them either of them to be honest like i'm much more into the characters that we've met and are gonna meet this season i just feel like they they have more going for them especially like the character that we talked about last week the uh leader of the mandalorian bo-katan yeah like yeah i'm i want to see more of that like i want to see her and and so I'm sure there's hella fans that were hyped to see those two characters. I mean, by hands down, my favorite character last season was IG-11. Like, without a, even not, nothing else even close. Did you see so, the statue for him in the background of this episode? No. They have what? a statue honoring him when he first goes to see... No Gre- fucking yeah, way! Yeah, in the background. It's like an dude, Easter egg, I missed dude. that. Yeah. Oh my god. Go back and rewatch. They I'm like, gonna have to rewatch it. He's, he was the hero of the end of last season. So, like, yeah. Yes, he, dude. They I like literally a, have a fucking IG-11 statue myself oh no oh, shit it. yeah it right it's now. it's in the but background yeah, I have a of one statue of, the early of scenes. ig11 up there somewhere yeah. But yeah he was my favorite character so like if if he came back i would have been hyped but so i don't know that's a long-winded answer for me to say that did that in particular like the reintroduction of those characters did not per- move my needle as much as i'm sure it moved like others what did you think like were you hyped about it uh i, I was hyped for grief i love me some carl weathers he's just he's just the man um I love when he directs his his, his directorial debut. He's like the star of the episode. At the I same was time. shook when I saw that at the end of the episode. <laughs> Me too. It was like directed by Carl Weathers. I was like, what? I was <laughs> what? I was shook that was his first time directing. I mean, the guy's been in everything, and he's pushing his his acting career. And I, I don't know, it was awesome. I thought he did a good job directing. Um, I just yeah, I, I love seeing Carl Weathers no matter what it is, and his character's cool in this. And I feel like in season one he was very sketchy. Like he was kind of like. Couldn't tell if he was telling the truth. Couldn't tell whose side he was on. And, and that's true. He yeah. was kind of like backside helping out the Empire, then had yeah. a heart and tried to help Mando. And and now I feel like he's all on Mando's side. Like, you know what you're getting with him, which is kind of yeah. cool. See, it's kind of cool to see that growth. 
Um, Cara Dune. I kind of feel like he's dead weight in a battle, though. Yeah, he, I feel like he's kind of like, like he's Lando. Like, oh, we gotta protect this guy now. You know, like he's like, oh, this is like somebody that we I mean need to make sure doesn't get killed. He did work in the uh, in the in the chase scene though, in that gunner, that gunner. Oh in the yeah, back he of did. That, yeah, I mean, he, he fucked some people up. So maybe yeah, he's got true. some that's some uh, piloting skills. But yeah, mm-hmm. in in a hand to hand or anything like that. No, but um. I don't know if you remember last season, but when Cara Dune came on last season, I was not a fan. Uh, I I thought she was a terrible actress and was just so, like, she has this, like, smirk about her. It's like, yeah, I'm a girl, so, like, this is unexpected, and, like, I can still kick your ass, which is cool, but, like, you gotta... Nobody expects this. You can't wear it on your face literally every time the camera's on. You're like, yeah, I got a face tat. Like, and and... I just wasn't. And I'm she, the tough girl. I'm the tough girl. Yeah. Oh me. And she has a line at the end. She's like, "What are you guys waiting for? An invitation? Let's go." And then like it's like so. It's just so bad. So I, I haven't really been a fan of her. So like seeing her, I was just like, "What? Whatever. She's back." But then uh, oh I hear behind the scenes that the actress that plays Cara Dune, uh, super controversial. Have you heard about this? Oh yeah. Gina Carano. Yeah. She uh yeah. she stirred some some. She stirred some wildfires in the on the Twitter Twitterscape with her opinions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I don't I know. I feel like I feel like honestly, like you can have your political opinion without putting other people down. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I like I don't I don't mind like what she thinks on Twitter, but I just feel like what's the point in being like liberal pussies? Like like all of that like, <laughs> that bitches. whole yeah. rhetoric is like. I don't know why. Like why? What are you? Do- what are you solving here? So I don't know. That yeah, is... yeah. And honestly, Loki, like knowing that she's like that, that person on Twitter, Loki kind of makes me like less stoked about the character. Like, See, just... it it definitely took its effect because I didn't know about her Twitter rants until this season. Like last season, I had no idea. So while this like the break in between, I found out, and now I'm being introduced to her character for the first time since then. And I definitely felt like my excitement for her like drop. It was I was it affected me. I was just like, oh, you're such a dick in real life. Like I don't I don't know. See, I love that, and this is just reassurance for me that she does suck. And so that was what I was stoked about. I was actually excited to hear. This <laughs> you're like news. I was right all along. <laughs> I knew I, I didn't like you for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> so I just I really enjoyed that she sucks. Um, and there's probably people I just listening. Enjoy that she sucks. People listening are wondering yeah. what what she did. She she did a lot of things that were, uh, you know, hard hard right um, responses yeah. to, to masks and whatnot. Just things that are just like have your opinion, but don't put yeah exactly. Don't put other people down. There's just no who gives yeah. A shit. Don't be a dick about it. Like that's fine. I'm not I'm not even saying I'm like one side or the other. I'm just saying don't be a dick. Yeah, like hey, people are don't be like, a dick. Everybody has their right to be valued, and you know, especially yeah. people are dying for this. It's just and uh, silly. Her her. Her best attribute in the last season was that, like, fucking, like, chopper-style, like, Gatling fucking laser gun that she had. The heavy machine gun that you have in some video games? Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. She didn't really do it for me. Not gonna lie. Yeah. Yeah. I think you hear Marcy in the background right now. Somebody must have just came through the door. Um, Okay. So, not a fan of her. We're a fan of Carl Weathers to a certain extent. Obviously, we're a fan of Mando. Um, one thing I really enjoyed about this was they really had some fun 
fatherly son humor between Mando and Baby Yoda. Like when he's trying to get him to put the wires in the right, like in the very beginning. Like I, I, I mean, it was cute. It was it was adorable. I thought it was fun. When he's in the classroom and he wants the the macarons and like he uses the yeah. force like how many times as a kid growing up knowing star wars did you try and use the force to grab a snack that was out of reach i definitely dude? tried that was like times i mean more than three probably <laughs> yeah sure. dude like, every like if i had the force unfortunately it'd be to grab the remote that's too far out of reach like that's yeah that's what i'd be a terrible jedi um here's my here's my thing though what are they setting us up for with baby yoda because I, I have, like, this sneaking suspicion. Like, you have to remember this is Disney. And, like, Disney is, like, well-known for, like, having the softest punches ever. Like, they don't really kill characters. But if I was watching this and not cognizant of the fact that this was a Disney production, I'd see scenes like that where it's like, oh, here's a scene to just see how cute this character is. Or, you know how, like, you can tell when a character's about to die in a narrative when, like, there's a scene dedicated to, like, Look how great making of a them lovable. This is. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Like this. Look at this. This guy's just so great, you know. And, and then they kill that character. Like I feel like those scenes to me were just like, look at Baby Yoda trying to put these wires together, and look at cute Baby Yoda trying to get a snack. I'm like, what are you fucking preparing me? For? Like, what's going on here? Because it's almost like, are they about to kill Baby Yoda? Like, what if I they did? I think there's few things more certain that than like the like there's few things I'm more certain about. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but there's not killing Baby Yoda. Like I can't wear it the right way, but there's no way they could. I mean, like because it's Disney. That's what you're you're basically saying. Disney would never do that. Just the plot. I mean, if you if you took Baby Yoda out of the plot, what do we have? We have the Mandalorian uprising or the Mandalorian resurgence on planet versus Moff Gideon. But like Baby Yoda is a key part of that, and he's been there from the beginning. I don't think that, I, don't I think know that, if Baby Yoda's that big of a plot though. I, if yes, let's let's take my yes. theory. Let's take my theory from last week and expand on it slightly. If if this show, if we're really watching uh, Jin Jarin like becoming the next king of Mandalore, Baby Yoda's not really that big of a plot piece. I mean, right now he's a big plot piece because like he gives Moff Gideon a purpose, which we just found out. And he gives Mandalorian a purpose, which we, we've been knowing since the beginning of season one. But, like, if Mandalorian's purpose changed, or, or Mando, I should say, if Mando's purpose changed for whatever reason, like, if he meets that girl again and she says, like, you know, let's take back Mandalore, all of a sudden he gets a new mission and then Baby Yoda... I don't know, man. Like, uh, it seems expendable to me. He does seem expendable right now, and that's why I feel like the, the little cute scenes aren't necessarily the, the fear that you're having of making him seem so lovable. Because we don't need that to make it. He's lovable to begin with. But they're just finding ways to incorporate him so you, you remember he's still there. Because I don't think his story is going to really break till later. And, and a big mm. thing, what you just said with Moff Gideon, like what they found in the laboratory is that they are taking blood from him, basically, Baby Yoda. Yeah. And injecting it into people to try and make them force sensitive. Yep. And uh, at one point, they talk about the M, the M count. Like never, you won't find somebody with a higher M count. And I looked it up. Yeah, midichlorians. So that's a cell that they have. That's if you have a bunch of them in you, it makes you force sensitive. Which I didn't know that the force was so scientific because I haven't read the books or anything. But that's so fucking cool. Like it's this... basically like Dragon Ball Z power level. Like the reason why Yoda is so powerful is because his and Baby Yoda is so like important is because like that race 
they're pretty much like the Saiyans of Star Wars. I'm about yeah. to get into Dragon Ball Z reference. Yeah. Saiyans have like this, they're just born with this crazy power level. Like they just have it. And that's Yoda and baby Yoda. And the reason why Anakin Skywalker was so wild is because he was a human that was born with like more midichlorians than Yoda or some shit. And if he never got like fucked up by Obi-Wan Kenobi, like he probably would have been more powerful than Yoda. That was the philosophy, right? Or the, the lore. That, yeah. Based on his midichlorian count. And that's so cool that you can break it down to a science. Like I have never heard the Jedi way discussed because it's so almost religious the way they talk about the Jedi, like the Force and like belief and like meditate and relax and mm-hmm. just like feel and understand and trust and like they never talk about oh I actually am more powerful than you because I have more fucking cells in my body than you do. Like that's that that makes it so much less uh f- like faith driven, which yeah is worse for narrative and great for contrast like it, it's yeah. like taking religion and putting a science into it and like mm-hmm. now like pick a, pick what, what direction you want to go so yeah. i it, and it's, it's not just... always faith driven driven either i mean darth maul was not a religious character. no i guess the jedi, is like the, the, jedi the jedi is so the force yeah the jedi the yeah. jedi's like in tune with the force is based off of like a disciplinary approach which is like meditative and everything but the force itself can be manipulated through like way more ways than just how the jedi have decided to do it basically right right yeah which which this was the first time i've really kind of thought about that and obviously i thought that it was just like growing up as a kid watching star wars like okay so you have this power in you and you can either be good or you can be bad and like that depicts Mm -hmm. what what direction you follow and that's there's just so much more layers than that but uh, to, to answer your first your first concern i feel like the fact that he is the sample that they need, like that's going to keep him in the storyline so much longer. Cause this, this story, sure. like the, the episode is just, is okay, but it really opened up the, what they're, what they want baby Yoda for. And yeah. Yes. Reinst- reinstituted. Correct. Moff Gideon that now, now Mando knows Moff Gideon's alive. Cause he didn't know until right now. Yeah. And now he's like, Oh yep. shit, it's not over. Like now shit starts mm-hmm. getting real. And this really was the first, I mean, there's been stepping stones. This was the first big breakthrough we've seen in that. So the episode's very important for the story arc, um, mm-hmm. and it's fun. I just felt like it was it was kind of lazy with like just the repeating the structure, repeating. And like I said, it felt like a little new hopey. Um, but I don't know. Any yeah. other? Can we talk about Can we talk about Mando's ship though? Like <laughs> at the end, a, or... couple, a, a couple things at the end. Yes. And how he was flying it, like, all of a sudden, Mando's, like, a fucking ace pilot, like, doing all these barrels and dives and shit. Like, he's just fucking okay. uh, from Pearl Harbor, which is sick. But I, I also wanted to talk about just the ship. Like, is that the ship that we love? Because, like, I, I don't know. Like, I think yeah. that, like, Mando needs to have, like, a Millennium Falcon. Like, I don't think that... Any fucking person in their goddamn right mind would look at the Millennium Falcon and be like, that ship's trash. The Millennium Falcon is fucking sick. Like, it is Mm -hmm. amazing. It looks so dope. It's iconic. It's iconic. Mm -hmm. And part of that is because of uh, the importance it plays in the story. But another part is like, just fucking look at that thing. That thing is savage, bro. Yeah. The, I think it's called the Razor Crest. The The Razor Razor Crest Crest is, I think. Yeah. It sounds like like a development neighborhood like razor crest hills yeah seriously <laughs> sounds like a house when, when his ship was like because a lot of the plot thus far has been like mando ship is trash like that's like been like a huge kind of uh mechanic that has moved this story forward 
And so with that comes like the question I, I found myself asking at this point, do you want to repair it or just get a new ship? Like, I right. think maybe there could be like room in the story for like somebody to say, Hey, I got this junker if you really want to use it. And then like rip the tarp off and it's like the fucking next millennium Falcon. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the, his ship. And then he gets it kind of like how he got his armor. Like we were there for when he got his Baskar armor. Right. And it was like an upgrade, like character level up. And because of that, I feel like more kind of attached to his armor. Like, I'm just like, dude, I remember when he got that shit. That shit is sick. I was going to say that but, as a reference. Yeah, he started off like Boba and came up fucking like a G. Yeah, with some trash. And now he's rocking that all silver, like silvery black Beskar. So that shit looks fucking savage. dope. So dope. Yeah, it's hella sick. So I feel like there's room for that for his ship. So I guess what do you what are your thoughts? Because I don't really like his ship. Like I don't really think it's that type. So I'm not in love with the ship. I don't think anybody is. And and your concern is now that they've repaired it, there's less chance that he'll replace it. Yeah, that's where you're coming yes. from. Okay, okay. Yes. I I honestly haven't thought about that honestly. Like, it is funny because Boba Boba Fett's ship in fucking Return of the Jedi was doper than that. Like he had like the very the top peak and like the two things that came down. Like there yep. there yep. there are some really cool ship structures out there. That they roll with, and he's been rolling with the scrap heap, and now he's got it upgraded. But I don't know. Hopefully, I guess, I guess, hopefully, this isn't the final product. Hopefully, this is just we'll get him to where he needs to go, and then he'll yeah. find something else. Because I agree, yeah. if that's if that's his end all, that's like rolling through the, not that sick. the end of the game with your level two ship that you could have gotten rid of a long time ago, just to prove a point. So yeah, that's man. that's an interesting pull. I didn't even think about his ship really. I just felt like, yeah, that's what we have to deal mm. with. But there are better options out there. Like, literally every other option is better than that. Right. <laughs> better than the Razor Crest. But he is an ace pilot. Don't say he just became an ace pilot because he's shown his piloting skills in multiple episodes, especially episode two of the season when he was dodging those New Republic. That's true. That's and true. He's like the nosedive, then reverse into the, like, the, yeah. the cave. Like, that was And he savage. lands it. He, like, lands it in the ice and, like, reverses yeah, back behind that was. You're, yeah, you're right. That was savage. I'm, I'm tripping on that. You're he, right. He's you're had right. it in the whole time. He just has the That's ability to, to do it again. That's true. Um, is there anything you want to touch on in this episode uh, before we move on to Beneath the Ink? No, let's do it. All right, let's dive deep. Okay, so I wanted to do some research on like the big kind of reveal in this episode, which was, uh, as we mentioned, the lab and what was being made in the lab. So... What was being made in the lab, uh, essentially, is it's not the first time we've seen it, um, and they're called Dark Troopers. Yeah. So, let's talk about what Dark Troopers are and what it means for the future of the Mandalorian. Please. So, the original Dark Trooper came from a Star Wars video game, Star Wars Dark Forces, released in 1995. Um... This, the reason why they were developed was the studio needed villains that could be plentiful and that could challenge Kyle Katarn, the former stormtrooper turned mercenary working for the Rebel Alliance, who was the game's hero. So all you really need to know is Kyle Katarn. That was your protagonist in this game. Uh, Katarn's primary objective was to destroy the Dark Trooper project. Um, Dark Troopers also appear in the original Star Wars Battlefront series, which retconned the concept to reveal. So originally, Dark Troopers were like, really crazy droids like very powerful droids that were kind of bosses in this game dark troopers were then retconned in battlefront 
um, to reveal that the original Dark Trooper predating Katarn's encounter, so like kind of saying, oh, before this, there was this, um, were clones who fought in the Clone Wars. The Empire restored wounded or un otherwise unfit clone troopers to fighting form by implanting them with cybernetics, enhancing their fighting capabilities beyond what they are capable of at the peak of their uh, natural health. And Imperial scientists uh, achieved this by using the same technology that transformed Anakin Skywalker into Darth Vader. So basically they would scoop up their like almost dead soldiers from the Clone Wars, bring them back to wherever they made Darth Vader and do the same shit they did to Anakin to make them like half human, half, half cybernetic Darth. Not, they weren't Darths because they weren't Sith, but yeah. you get the point. Yeah. They, they yeah. were cybernetic human. Cyborgs. Wars. Cyborgs, yeah. Um, Dark Troopers uh, and Gideon wear armor that resembled Darth Vader's appearance, but could be uh, hints that these new Dark Troopers are similar to the clone cyborg Dark Troopers from Star Wars Battlefront. So, here's here's the the, the takeaway from all this. Um, Moth Gideon is clearly making clones. Uh, he's injecting them with uh, midichlorians to give them force powers. And, and they're not going um, well, by the way. The injections look like they're warping these people because they oh yeah they're gonna be gnarly they're, they're gonna be super gnarly. looking in those, yeah. those tubes yeah but they're really hard to kill and they're really powerful and um these ones are gonna have some some type of force connection um and so this whole kind of series to me feels more than anything like it's um leading up to like a, a uh empire strikes back situation and the reason why I say that is because if you think about the end of season one, this is like Star Wars 101. If you think about the end of season one, Mando won. They were defeated. Moff Gideon was humiliated. Uh, and um, they were, you know, brushed off of Navarro, right? The end of this episode, we see Moff Gideon sitting in a room full of like what are about to be these like crazy super soldier cybernetic creatures. And he knows where Mando and the child is. Mando has no idea what Moff Gideon has and he's been working on. And whenever there is like a conflict, I feel like Mando and his team are going to think they're going to just wipe the floor with Moff Gideon and his army because that's what they have been doing. Right. And on top of that, there's been like this like subplot that's been running through all of these episodes, which is stormtroopers are trash. Like stormtroopers can't hit shit. They're garbage. Like, if you remember the scene in that episode in last season, there was, like, a scene where they were, like, sitting trying to hit a can, but they just, all of them were missing. Like, there was two of them on speed Oh, it's bikes. terrible. That, that was that was, yeah. that was one of my things I was going to say is, like, imagine imagine being Moth Gideon and, like, all right, Mando, Mando's on his way to take over your base, but don't worry, you have a thousand stormtroopers. You would still yeah. be like, I'm fucked, because stormtroopers are literally children. And the second They're part, cannon fodder. in this episode, they have another self-destruct button. Which every base seems to have. It's just like, good mm -hmm. lord. But go on. Yeah. Sorry. So I think the that that's been an ongoing subplot, and that's been like a like a joke, like a running joke all through this all the Star Wars movies. Like stormtroopers can't do anything; they just die. Right. So I think what this season is going to end with is us changing how we feel about stormtroopers and their ability to cause havoc, and in doing so. Moff Gideon winning basically I think it's going to end with Mando and Moff Gideon and their armies colliding and Moff Gideon is going to wreck wreck house just like in after uh, Luke Skywalker destroys the Death Star 
um, and they're, you know, everybody's like, the Empire's trash, we got this, the Republic is thinking that. And then the next uh, movie, Darth Vader fucking, you know, cuts off Luke Skywalker's hand and just does a, like, they win, basically. Throw some fucked and up dad like shit in there. Yeah. So I feel like they're, they're, um, they're following the same narrative, and I think that, you know, this season is actually more about the power of the Empire and the power of Moff Gideon than it is about Mando progressing through. I fucking love it, dude. I hope so. Because Empire is the best Star Wars movie, if you ask me, and it's because of the conflict they face, and it was so anti, like, good guy wins. It was, like, strife and struggle, but we all deal with it. And I agree. I think that Mando has been been serving up cupcakes, and he's been taking them to fucking lunch. Like, he's, he mm-hmm. hasn't had a real challenge, and when he does, maybe Yoda's been there. So I would love to see some Empire take over and, yeah. and win the season. I would even... Go- I was gonna say I would even go as far as saying that like I maybe Baby Yoda gets captured. I think he does. I get totally some point. see that happening. I don't know yeah. for how long, but I think he does get taken, and I think that might be the cliffhanger that we're looking at at the end of the season. Uh, I can see that a defeated totally Mando, a taken Baby Yoda. Hopefully, mm-hmm. Cara Dune dies in there somewhere, and then we're just looking at the stars, <laughs> and that's where we're, that's where we're get at. Get her out of here! Get her out of <laughs> here! No, that's exciting, and, and that's not a bad bad theory i think that makes a lot of sense and, and did you play fallen order i can't remember uh the, yes the new star wars game the, yep. the, the purge troopers. they're also in fall they're in fallen order yeah the purge troopers i think they were called in that i don't know if it's the same thing but they have like the purple fucking like batons and the purple yeah those things fuck you up and like i would love to have higher stakes in these shootouts like yeah that and makes I think it so they, much more they have to do it i mean ultimately they have to do it they have to make danger feel real and i think that you know the creators of this uh this show john favreau and and his team of fucking all-stars they're all like such great star wars fans that i think that you know a lot of them are like kind of pulling from the lore and like you know giving credit to what star wars has always been which is like you know the stormtroopers are trash like there's kind of like a canon that you follow when you when you tell new stories in this world and so I think, like, you kind of have to pay tribute to that. Yeah. After paying tribute to that, I think you can change it. And I feel like that's what we're we're witnessing. Like, it's like, yeah, okay, Stormtroopers trash, haha. This is a real Star Wars thing. But somehow, danger has to feel real. And so I think we're going to see, like, a real, real empowerment of Stormtroopers coming up in these next couple episodes. I love that idea, Zach. I, I'm, I'm physically hard for that idea. I think that makes so much sense. And if, if Disney... Disney's bought in to Favreau's vision at this point, and now he, if uh, hopefully they trust him to where he can take the reins, and just like, all right, let me get a yeah, little man. weird. Let me get weird, just a little bit. Yep, let him let him get weird. I love that. All right, well, great, great fucking beneath the ink, bro. I love that. So, uh, we're gonna take a quick commercial break, and when we get back, we will have creator and star of Body Swap, Jimmy Custis, on to answer a few questions with us. What comes to mind when you think of horror? You think of abandoned graveyards, rotting houses sinking into the earth, the dead rising from the graves? My name is Anthony Gamoya, and ever since I was a young boy at the age of four or three, I've been obsessed with monsters, ghouls, goblins, horror, scariness, whatever, what you name it, I've seen it, and I love it. The horror genre draws us in for many different reasons. Some of us like to be scared, 
Others find some sense of catharsis in the fear and destruction of sanctity and society and conformity. Other people just like to see really cool monsters ripping people apart. And that's all valid. So this podcast is an exploration of the genre. I've rounded up several different people. Writers, artists, enthusiasts, personalities, critics, professors, editors. To get them all together into this little project of mine. Every episode, I will be interviewing two different people, asking them about a movie that they love. Indeed, a film that scares them, a film that means something to them, a film that just sticks out in memory. And I'm going to ask them about how they feel about it, what they think about it, what they love about it, what they don't like about it. And in this mission, I suppose you can call it, I'm going to find out why so many people love horror. I'm going to cut to the core the horror fandom. So please join me on this little excursion, a little voyage, a little dive into the core of our collective passion. Welcome to the Pumpkin Core Horror Movie Podcast. And we're back, and we have creator and star of the hit film Body Swap on with us, Jimmy Cusses. Jimmy, how are you? Great, great. I'm doing great. I am so excited, but not as excited as our other friend Zach here because we have so many questions for you about your film. Uh, we got to watch it over the weekend. It was hilarious. We fully enjoyed it. Thank you. And the question that we always start off with when we have a special guest is, what is your origin story? So, you know, what, 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 where did you start and how did you get to where you are today? Well, I started doing uh, little cartoons as a kid and then uh high school uh i got into it i sort of wanted to pursue that then got sidetracked and did a um uh took care of a handicapped person uh they they paid me to do that i did that uh quite a few years like five six years fixed up a house fixed up a condo fixed up some properties and then uh had like a tiny little bit of money and made a movie. After. <laughs> that's awesome. That is awesome. Well, thank you for doing doing that. I'm sure that. Where did you that's, Where that's did you huge. come from? Like, where did you grow up? Uh, I've came from. Uh, I've lived in Louisville, Kentucky, and I, okay. I'm from there okay. originally. From there, oh, mm-hmm. And we even shot the movie there. Oh, really? Nice, Louisville. Mm-hmm. I know one of mm-hmm. the film festivals you won was the Louisville International Festival of Film, so that makes sense. You got a little local. Local yeah, a little local that. love. Right on, man. Uh, the movie is called BodySwapMovie.com if anyone wants to check out the trailer. It's on that site. Yeah, yeah. And, and we'll absolutely, we're going to do some plugs at the end of this as well, just to make sure everybody can find it. What inspired Body Swap? Because you wrote this, correct? Yes. I thought, why not combine a romantic comedy and a uh, body swap comedy into one thing? I thought, we've seen both. Let's see them together. <laughs> it just seemed like, it seemed like fun. Yeah, I mean, it was. It was a blast. Have you uh, have you written anything else that we, or is this your first kind of experiment? I ha- uh, we experimented with a little 60-minute movie that didn't have a screenplay, and then I've written two screenplays after Body Swap that are just sort of sitting around. Uh, okay. So I'll, I'll see what, if you support this one, if you like if you like this one, you got to support it so I can make more. Yeah, yeah. Movies. You hear that, motherfuckers? You're listening to support this shit. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> Sixty-minute movie without a screenplay. So is that just like 
cameras roll and we have a general idea of like where we want the story to go and we just kind of I wouldn't even out. say we had a general idea uh, a general idea I think we just shot whatever we wanted to and then <laughs> just wing it baby and, and then and then an editing made a, th- a oh, thing that oh, kind of made sense sick. yeah <laughs> um if, if if it gives you any indication that movie's about Guy, a normal guy who pretends he's the president of the United States, who's also watching a show on TV that was also the movie we were shooting originally. Oh shit! Inception. <laughs> so it's got like, yeah, oh, okay. three things. Nice. It. It's um, like Tiger King meets Inception. I love it. Yeah, that sounds tight. Um, what were some of the like the biggest challenges that you got in uh, uh, writing the script and then converting the script to film? I'd say the biggest challenge is just proving to people we could do it mm. uh as it as it got along um uh people's fears eased a little bit in what we could accomplish mm-hmm. as I, i'm rounding down the corner to where the like last things i need to do is advertising and, and having it on itunes and amazon and all that mm-hmm. i think once the cast and crew see that it got to that point um right now it's in virtual release on vimeo mm-hmm. uh I think though that um, getting the next ones will be a little bit easier, and I, I've had a more you know more heavy lifting, more people interested in doing heavy lifting for the next one because I, I can at least get it done. Yeah, so. yeah. So you're like gaining yeah. momentum, like as you're rounding that last corner, you're kind of looking towards future projects, and more people are like, yeah, like we'll give you support and in your future project because this project turned out so well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was thinking of doing something in September. Um, it was kind of be too much stress for me with the uh, the release of this also going on. Oh, for sure. And wanted, yeah. wanted the money to go towards advertising and just making it this the best release. So I delayed it, and uh, uh, I think this will do okay. I think it will be like any ind- other independent film, and people will go see it. Yeah, yeah. Like it. So like, what was the process of getting funding then? Did you have to like just convince a lot of people that you know like this was a good idea i went throw money or or how did that work we did new cops for no budget so i thought with a little bit of money i got from a house sale um me and my brother fixed up a house and we sold Mm -hmm. it and it just like it went up because the housing market in that neighborhood in the country and we already got a good deal on it when we first bought it and we did some fixes Mm -hmm. to it to make it better um it had like you know my brother got thirty five thousand because I was paying the mortgage mm-hmm. for him. He was a bit younger, mm-hmm. uh, and he just helped fix it up and like um, was on the mortgage. So I gave him thirty five. Uh, uh, he paid me back for the two years of mortgage I was paying, and so I had like fifty five thousand, mm-hmm. and that was what went into the movie. Did and you then put that whole thing in I had the movie? a. Were you, or, and if you did, pretty like, much. About it? Uh, like, um, how was that for you? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, I was really <laughs> yeah. nervous about that. Uh, it didn't go all. I had maybe twenty thousand after production, okay. and so uh, a friend of mine that was pretty well off, he put maybe ten k, mm-hmm. and I put, and then eventually spent about forty fifty, mm-hmm. um, and then his mom gave me five. So. It it worked out pretty well. He's pretty wealthy, so he's not stressing it. But uh, <laughs> I, I've been, li- but uh, other than I've been renting out, I would stay at an Airbnb or something. Like I would ask the people that own an Airbnb, "Hey, can I rent out 
the whole pl- can I rent the whole place yeah. and rent out the rooms? And so I would do that when I was going to film festivals. I'd go to Tampa, right. do it, L.A., do right. it. Uh, I would rent out the rooms, How do- and uh, that would just like break even because it was so much to rent a place on Airbnb. Right. But uh, it was at least something I could do while writing and doing film festivals. And so I've been living with my mom since uh, quarantine. Word. How did you get the sets? Like, did you were those rented Airbnbs too, or like places that you knew that you could shoot in? There was a uh, a uh, very good idea, in my opinion, but it didn't work out. Was <laughs> buy a, a rent accommodations that the actors could stay in at night, and then when we're shooting in the day, they shoot doubles locations. We didn't wind up doing that. We wound up using my director Tim Morton's house for the. Uh, uh, the guy and then the girl was the rich friend. Yeah. Uh, oh, so. cool, rich friend. Nice. This guy's a legend. Mm-hmm. Whoever the friend is. <laughs> his name's worth. His name's worth Miller, and he, you know, he likes being associated with the movies. Acting in them, he has a small role in there. Um, he might do more in the next. Can I one. guess what his role but was? I, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Was he the guy at the bar that tried to pick up the? Can no, no, he's an actor. He's an act. He's a director and actor. That guy, but uh, the security that's guard the at the end of the movie. Oh uh, man! Now that's that friend that Worth Miller. Um, he had my favorite line. It's like I have diarrhea. He goes, I have diarrhea right now. <laughs> <laughs> but that that guy's a director, and the guy playing my brother's a director in his own right. Gunner Roy, Bulls. cool. That's perfect. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask you about that because I like I've. So you're talking to two aspiring screenwriters. I've written a screenplay before. Zach's currently working on one. So if the questions are very invasive, it's because we're very interested in the craft and we're very impressed. Mm-hmm. And if like one of the one of the biggest dreams I've had to write a screenplay is to cast for it. So I'm just curious, like, did you have people that you knew already that you wrote these roles for, or was the casting completely like just like strangers coming in applying for your position? Because Roy, I felt like, was a perfect casting. He did a great job. And I was interested if you had, like, a previous mm-hmm. connection with him or what. I also feel like the co-star did an amazing job. She was she Ella was Jordan great. was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah she did a incredible. great job. Yeah, they've been singled out a lot. I submitted it to Golden Globes because we have, like, five movies this year. Uh, I highly doubt. <laughs> I, I bought, That's I bought not the it. spirit, bro. Uh, it was free to submit to Golden Globes. I balked at paying 50 bucks to do Gotham's, which may have been the smartest bet if I was going for awards. But it's one of some awards at film festivals. Um, yeah, it has. Uh, I, think it's, I, I'm, I, I think it's highly unlikely, even with the five, five films out this year, <laughs> to get anything. But, um, yeah, so I, I didn't think uh, it would make any money on Vimeo, and it made, like, a few thousand in virtual cinema. So I consider that a success because we haven't had our Amazon iTunes, all those releases. When it gets those, it's going to be um, uh, probably break even, I hope. Or at least, uh, since I was already throwing the numbers around, I mean, 20 to 30 is fine to make another movie. I'll throw it back in another movie. I don't yeah, care. Sure. Hell yeah, recycle that. <laughs> or, or, or I'll work, work on other people's projects for Three Hots in the Cot. I'm not, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not picky. I just like making movies and it's yeah. fun. Um, so w- w- we were going on a tangent. So they, yeah, they were good actors. Casting. Uh, yeah, casting. 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 What was the casting so, experience yeah, yeah. like? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I put out a casting call and I was lucky enough that 
my original choices for Wendy, Roy, Gunner, and Lisa, Katie agreed to it. Um, then it was just finding CJ, which was kind of hard because um, two or three actresses that auditioned turned it down for, like, they had other parts lined up. The pay wasn't better than those parts or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I, reca- I put out a recasting call, and I... Um, Asked Ella, who I asked before to audition. She never got an audition in. Um, and when I saw it, I was like, well, she's a good choice. Yeah. Uh, she yeah. I've, She's a very natural actor because I can tell you in that movie, uh, in Body Swap, when you see it, audience, when you go by it right now, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, when you see it, she's only acting in this like five or ten minutes when she's the professional businesswoman. I think she got a job right after in an office setting, but like that's the only times so when she's on the couch, she's herself. When she's acting like she's a guy, she's herself. Um, when she's yelling on the phone uh, at her ex-boyfriend before she swaps, that's herself. <laughs> I can I can imagine that p- part being right. So like other than the part where that part is, she really just had to be herself, and she did a good job. That's with awesome. That. Yeah, I felt like you guys really took flight when you swapped. Like. Like you guys are kind of like you're you're portraying the characters that you want the the swap to understand. But oh, like once you guys... oh for sure the direct the director chopped it down. It was like before we even put couch scenes, we were like 15 minutes in before they swap, and so we got it down to 10 minutes with those couch scenes added. Yeah. So we must have chop, chopped a lot in the beginning. Yeah, and that's when you guys really really you know flourished. I thought that was that was really cool to see. Um, but you talked about the awards you guys have won. I mean, you got best feature film at the Louisville one that like we talked about, uh, Peachtree Village International Film Festival, and and World Fest Houston, which are these are on IMDb, bro. I mean, that's that's huge accomplishments. Like that's that's a yeah. I'm a very grateful. Yeah. I'm gr- very grateful. Um, Louisville, I did not expect to win when we won that. The director didn't even know there was an awards going on like an hour before. Like, they were in Louisville. <laughs> so we were, like, 10 minutes before, like, uh, he got back, like, late. And I was like, you know, there's an awards thing. We didn't know if we'd win anything, but we were like, let's go to this. Um, Peachtree, they didn't tell us before. And Peachtree, they acted like, uh, they were very nice to us, like, at the little events, mm-hmm. uh, parties. But when we were doing, like, the screening, they were like, well, I don't have time for you. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was like... Like, it was very just nonchalant. I was, like, not expecting to win an award there. And so, yeah. Uh, Houston, that got that was going to go on in April, and that was going to be one where they give you your own hotel. I never had that <laughs> from a, a film that's festival. Cool. Moving on up. Uh, that's a boss. That's a and, boss. And all these things, and uh, coronavirus canceled it. So the two biggest ones were, one went online, which was Woods Hole. Uh, that was our tw- the 29th edition and then the 53rd edition of world fest houston didn't go at all but the jury met and looked at all the films and awarded the prizes nice oh man so you didn't get to really fully enjoy the experience you got to kind of you got the award which is huge but like i gotta imagine yeah your product out there on the screen people watching laughing like that's well, well no i saw i saw that at louisville um i'm lucky oh, okay. that seven or eight film festivals played before january that i went to uh, in attendance so i saw it with plenty of audiences um i do feel bad for some of the uh uh filmmakers this year like their first uh showing was on the woods hall um internet mm-hmm. one uh they didn't get 
they got accepted into Sundance and South by South, or not Sundance play, but like they got into South by Southwest San Francisco. They all got canceled. Tribeca, yeah. and that was their first time people got to see it, mm. um, and it was online. So I felt bad for them, whereas I got to at least, uh, as half and half. I got to go, got to go to crowds, gonna win awards, but then when the bigger ones came into focus, because it's very rare you move up. You usually premiere at a huge one, and then you play the small, the smaller regional ones, mm-hmm. um, which would be Houston or Woods Hole, and then you'd go to even smaller. Um, we actually went at like the smallest you could be, which is like a second or third year festival in like a town of nine thousand in Michigan, <laughs> and then it. moved up, moved up to Louisville and all these ones, and then got to the bigger ones, and and then we had to just put it out there because there's no more festivals yeah. really. It's um, a dream, baby. We've been uh, I'm gonna change gears here just one second. We've been talking a ton sure. about uh, Star Wars, and we've been following episodes of The Mandalorian, and so I've been watching it. I watched the latest one, so I'm oh, you're all up. caught up. So okay, I'm just curious as mm-hmm. as a filmmaker, yeah. like what are your what are your thoughts? Like how how do you feel about how The Mandalorian is going and how it's being executed? Oh, I love them. I don't think of like the the CGI or anything. I do notice like this latest one. It's it's constantly getting on that speeder, going out to the middle of nowhere and doing yeah. something. <laughs> like that constantly seems to be like the yeah. thing. Um, uh, it's got a very Western feel. I always wonder, like though, the mix of like the CGI. Like the thing I wonder is when like. He gets off that big ship and then it gets stuck and then he's sliding off the you know ramp. Mm-hmm. Like how much how much of the real ship do they build? They gotta have built the ramp yeah, at yeah, least. Yeah, because he's standing. That huge on ramp. It. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. So that's all a big metal ramp. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess they just took it from a truck or whatever, but it's still funny. <laughs> that, uh, uh, it is. Funny. They have to build like, yeah. In, that's what the DVDs are for of stuff, and people don't buy those anymore. As you see, like. They'll have, you know, a half of, like a King Kong fist and right. <laughs> nothing blue, else or whatever. You, you get to, yeah. yeah, yeah, you see what, what's going yeah, on. That, I, That's what we have podcasts for now. We just talk about it. Well, I actually, I think that um, if you buy movies now on, uh, oh my God, is it Voodoo? Like if you buy, a lot mm-hmm. of the Voodoo movies will have like the movie and then like they'll have like an additional 30 minutes of like, the director talking about the movie or like how the set was built and stuff, which I feel like is almost to me as interesting as the movie itself. Like, I just love to hear about how all these decisions were made. So if you're into that listeners, Voodoo still has it, or you could just buy the DVD. Yeah. I will say I don't, I didn't know how to get those. I didn't put those features on the iTunes and Voodoo release, but it will be on Voodoo. I think, um, Fucking so better, Jimmy. Uh, we need that stuff. Yeah, man. we need it. We need the behind the scenes. <laughs> but it's. I think if you go to Vimeo, the Body Swap Movie.com, I, I could. I it let me put in features. It's, Vimeo's very friendly to filmmakers. It's like they only take ten percent. You can put like one hundred and four languages on there. You can. Oh, that's cool. Uh, put in four K. You can put it in. Um, you can put your special features down there. So that's really intuitive. I like that part of it. Nice. Well, that, that brings me to my next question. So a user, or sorry, a listener is listening right now. They go to their keyboard. What do they type in to find Body Swap right now? Uh, bodyswapmovie.com. Bodyswapmovie.com. Um, that'll take you right there. I've heard there's been issues with like Chrome saying 
dangerous or something because it's like it's a GoDaddy domain that takes you to Vimeo, but or there's but there's no issues on phones or other um, browsers or something. I don't mm-hmm. know. It's just one of those weird things. If you go to Vimeo directly and just look on on demand, you can body swap. You'll find it, and Excellent. it'll be. It'll be on one of the, those other platforms, December, January. I don't know. There's there's a lot of delays going on, but it passed quality control. Um, so I'm hoping hoping you'll see it on those platforms soon sure. enough. Hell yeah! And we, like we said already, enjoyed it thoroughly this weekend. So listeners, if you want a comedy, you want to enjoy that somebody from the ground level created himself and built himself is a fucking iconic feat. Go check it out. Buyswap.com. Buyswapfilm.com. I'm sorry. Uh, Buyswapmovie.com. Buyswapmovie.com. And then also on Mm -hmm. Vimeo, find it on demand. So, Jimmy, what's your next step here? You've you've created a film. Obviously, you're still working on this, but you have some things in the works. What what do you you plan on working on next? Well, we had one called She's a Princess, and uh, the director... He's not the director of this one, but the director of Body Swap. He came up with the concept, and then he's like, you know, you should, before even this happened, the um, uh, pandemic, uh, he said, you should do it against green screen, and uh, I'm still against that, so I'm not doing it against green screen, but uh, uh, it doesn't require much. Like, my movies don't have a a few crew and cast. The green screen would not uh, make anything safer because you still have to have the crew there yeah so (laughs) it just make it look weirder and i like i like the things to look real Mm -hmm. so he wanted it to have like a sort of a a, uh ethereal quality to it or like a dreamlike quality but uh, i'm director so (laughs) i want it to be more real yeah uh but he'll probably be involved in the next one. Tim Morton, he's he was worked with me on New Cop. Well, New Cops was his idea, and then he worked with me on Body Swap. So we'll work together. But uh, yeah, that's the next plan. Is that one? I got a potential cast in mind. And, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, if you need a character that is, you know, not I would say average looking and also very charming and has some wit, I'm I'm available um, Tuesdays through Saturdays. From okay. uh, in Louisville, five p.m. <laughs> well, I, I was thinking virtually five p.m. to like virtually? ten p.m. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, Alaska, yeah, yeah. Alaska time. So that's probably like. Well, if we did the green screen idea, I guess we'll just go back yeah, to that. Yeah, and I'll, at that I'll point, do, at nudity, that point, I'll do it all. Um, so if I'm doing green screen, why don't I just have all the actors that are out of work doing a project? Are you are you <laughs> that are you like, me uh, right now? No. I, I just put my heart out there. Just saying, why would I fucking do you if I can do somebody else? Come on. Well, I'm just saying I can get Matthew McConaughey or all right, all right, Jennifer all right. Lawrence to go Time stand against the green. Time is a flat circle, Jimmy. See, I can do Matthew McConaughey, dude. Well, I can deep fake you, yeah. <laughs> you, that's just your, your speech, bro. Damn it. Oh, you'll be you'll be Ariana Grande when I'm done. With it, so. <laughs> I'm fine with that. Put some little cat ears on me, dude. I'm I'm good. Oh I'm good. god, it's terrible. Uh, oh, I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Z, any questions you have for Jimmy before we let him go? I have one question. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you can answer this question, but at the end of the film, I I wanted to know how they switched back. I think uh, spoiler. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm kind of expecting you to not answer this, but I ha- I felt like it was my duty to ask. It is your duty. I never really thought about it. Um, I guess they did swap back. Uh, I think. <laughs> you guess they did. Swap I guess back. they did. Uh, oh, I would they? say. 
I'd say the yeah, probably after sex or something. That's what I said. Okay. And Zach was like, nah, dude, there was something else that had to happen. But no, they just banged out and they switched, dude. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. It's like when you become the original, a person. The original ending, we didn't know. They just sort of like looked across the breakfast table. Oh. And you didn't oh, know. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That was the original <laughs> ending and it was it was not working. <laughs> I like that better than like the shock, like the whole like shredder scene. And and by the way, the tons of Ninja Turtles references in this, which I've goes right to my yeah. heart. So was Casey Jones and the Shredder being the epitome of how they got swapped? Is there any connection there? Or is that just me pulling at strings? Maybe it's like ooze and they swap that way. <laughs> like maybe that's the ooze. Uh, I don't know. I just had um um did you get the reference about the boulders rolling down the uh, steps? Did you know what that's a reference to? I wonder if anyone will catch Oh, that. yeah, the, the regular Nintendo game, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The side-scroller. Hell yeah, dude. Oh, yeah, Zach yeah. has no idea what we're talking about. He's not as much... That'd go, that'd go over your... It might go... You might have not caught it the first time around unless I mentioned it. So I don't yeah. even remember that in the movie, yeah, to be honest. So that, I get the idea like when you repeat it back to me. Um, but I was yeah, definitely yeah. there for the Smash Bros. reference because we're, we're big Smash Bros. Mm-hmm. So. Those, I think, were improvs. About the nice. few improvs from Gunner we kept were those. Oh, he's a, That's uh, Roy, right? Yeah. Yeah, he crushed it. Uh, well, Dan Allen, who's talking about Kirby and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, I think that's his name. Um, he's a stand-up comic that I think Tim knows. Oh, cool. I know he's a stand-up comic. Uh, and I guess he just knew him and got him over for that day. I don't. He just came out of nowhere, <laughs> and I'm great. like, we have some stand-up comic that's. I mean, he's 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 a he's a relatively uh, up and comer, but Tim knows a lot of stand-ups in Louisville. Nice. He knows Ron on Hirschberg and Tim Northern and um, a bunch of them. So yeah, it's a good pool to be tapped into. Well, Jimmy, thank you so much for your time, and all of our listeners, go out and check BodySwapMovie.com where you can watch it and also on Vimeo and it is a hilarious fucking trip. You'll enjoy it. And then keep your eyes out for Jimmy Custis as his films keep coming our way. Jimmy, thank you so much, man. We hope to talk to you, thank you again all. soon on your next project. Appreciate it, man.